Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as he makes all things new. We are excited to pursue his heart for the greatest city on earth and the center of the city in this great neighborhood of Humble Park. We are... Um Still in this series, trusting through transition. I promise we're going to transition from the series when we transition. <laughs> this is one thing that you don't hear anybody say. You know, I just love transition. You know, we're in a season of people graduating from school and, and um, you know, graduations and stuff happening. And, you know, it's like a joyful moment. Um, but, yeah, the change can be very hard and very difficult. And, and the purpose of this series is to have us keep an eye out for what God is doing in the midst of this transition. That, yes, things are changing and that we are changing in the midst of it. But God and his faithfulness is remaining the same to us. How do we remember our promises over our losses? This can hit home here for people who have said bye to lots of friends who have continued to, you know, you're just losing since like, I've been losing everything since the pandemic. I haven't gained anything. How do we keep our eye on the promises of God when it seems like all around us is loss? But he is doing things even when it seems like, yes, back to the gardening language that pruning is happening. He's making room for more. He's making room for growth. That although here's like, this is a nice, big, beautiful building. We got the stained glass. I mean, what's better than here? It's a foundation where God can begin to pour into us abundance like he never has before. And imagine that we may have to change so that we can affirm our trust in the Lord. That it's not about what we see, it's not about what we gain, it's not about what we lose. It is about our faithfulness to his promises that he's spoken to us. Thinking about all the transitions that people have gone through in scripture and whether they handled it well or didn't handle it well enough, they teach us a lot. And I was thinking about David. Oh, David, this dude went through everything. A man after God's own heart, setting up someone to be murdered so that he could take their wife. I mean, this dude was like, he was in it. Something about him always going back to God's presence. But he started out as a boy and a shepherd in the meadow. God saved him from a bear, and he saved him from a lion, and he protected these sheep. And he was known as being ruddy, and he was rough. A son that wouldn't even get invited when that special guest came in. Samuel said, I'm going to, I want to anoint one of your sons, Jesse. Jesse, who was the son of Obed, and Obed, who was the son of Ruth. That's crazy. In Bethlehem. I want to anoint one of your sons as king. Okay, let me invite all of my sons. He invites them all. Samuel goes, eh, not this one, not that one, not that one, not that one. Do you have one more? <laughs> he just said he invited all of them. No, David is still back in the meadows. That's how off to the side and out of the middle of society shepherds were. They weren't considered the people 
that you had over when you were entertaining. They were untouchable in some sort of ways. Of course, David comes and he's anointed king. And in our story and in a movie, you would go, okay, that's the time where you receive everything that you have. We just had a coronation of the king in England. And he's received all of the, the weight of the office and all the benefits of being a king. But that wasn't happening with David. He was an anointed king. And then his journey began. Last week we talked about Jesus who was heard the voice from heaven that said, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God being pleased with him before he had done anything. And here's David being anointed before he had done anything. Before he had slew Goliath, before he had songs, you know, top ten hits written about him. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands, right? This journey where he's going through life, lo and behold, it would be 17 years before he became king. From the moment that he was anointed, he walked 17 years. First in Bethlehem, then in the wilderness, then in Ziklag, and then he ascended into the throne at, um, then it was Hebron, and then he ascended to the throne finally as king of Jerusalem. That process, God, where's my, I've been anointed. I know I can do this. I know you've called me to be amazing at business. Where is it at right now? It's like, man, I'm in a wilderness. What is going on? This is where we pick up our passage with David in Ziklag in the wilderness. He is a killer. There's no other way to put it. They don't, you know, preachers really don't say it that way. David is really good at killing people. He's kind of like, depends on your era, Arnold Schwarzenegger, or (laughs) um, if you're older, then it's uh, Charles Bronson or somebody like that, you know what I'm saying, Or, uh, or Sylvester Stallone. He's an action hero in actuality, kills lots of people. But in the process of his killing, Saul has gotten jealous and decides to try to kill him. David runs away and finds the Philistines who are the enemies of Israel. He says, please let me fight for you guys. I'm telling you, I'm good at killing. I will kill Israelites for you. They're like, eh, we don't trust you. Go home. We don't want to really deal with you anymore. And this is where this passage picks up in um, 1 Samuel 30. So David and his men, they reached Ziklag. This is where they were staying and had all their families and all their possessions Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev in Ziklag, and they had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. That is a lot of crying. You can't cry anymore. David's two wives have been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal and Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Yeah, I would be distressed too. (laughs) Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, the Lord answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. 
David is standing in this moment in time, remembering all these moments where God has showed up for him. You know, what's interesting about remembering what is broken, that our lives are not some perfect continuum, but it's almost these different moments that we are called to remember. It's not just remember, it's to to place them back together in a context of God's holiness. We have to remember the context of him being in the wilderness. And oh, hey, we've been in the wilderness in this church before, right? We've been to where nobody could meet here. And then we came and everybody had to wear masks. I'm like, I'll never have a harder time preaching than that. When I can't see what anybody, are they liking this message? I don't know. It's just like everybody, I can't tell what what their faces are. Like we've been through the wilderness, a place where we haven't understood before. And up is not up anymore and down is not down anymore. It's as if we have spiritual vertical where we can't go and worship everywhere that we worshiped before. And all the people that we've lost, these moments of folks like, "Ah, I'm done with you, Jesus. Why? Because this is not what I signed up for. Bless you. But there is something about us knowing that as long as I've got Jesus, I've got all that I need. That you can take away the entrappings of life, everything that makes me comfortable. But if I have Jesus, I can always remember him. This is why we take communion, to remember Jesus, to remember the body of Christ that has so many different arms and our memories have so many different places that he's shown up in our lives, but they all form like Voltron into this beautiful picture of a God who shows up every single time. That when we think we are in threatened by desperation, here he comes. Every single time. But the problem is, is those moments don't exist right now. How do I remember that? Remember his promises and put them back together even in the midst of loss. Crying until I don't have any more strength. And maybe it looks a little different for you. It's not like you're crying till you don't have any more strength. You just don't have any more strength to let anyone into your heart who could possibly make you cry. We don't have any more strength to reconnect. Why? Because we've seen too many people leave. We've seen too too much change. No more change, God. But there's something about us remembering his faithfulness that causes us, yes, to try again and even pursue. You're probably wondering what are the promises over our church? Well, here are some. And you're probably like, where did you get this from? I talk to people. What is resonating on your hearts? What is God saying? What is he stirring in us? The things that get us excited, that we would be a thriving church, people who are alive, and I forgot to put an on fire, Presence that draws to loss. How do you think Chris got here? Presence that draws the lost. 
healing that changes lives, and excitement that emanates from this community. These are some of our promises that God has over us. And no matter how disparate and desperate and far from that it seems, how can we hold on to his promises in the middle of his loss and the losses? And David gives us such a great lesson. His men are crying till he has no, no more strength. Uh, you know, I, I know my kids what it sounds like when they're yelling, people are crying, and it's like all this chaos going on, and they still got strength, and it's deafening. <laughs> like grown men doing that until they don't have any more strength, that would be harrowing. The sound of that would be crazy. But we learn from this process exactly what he did in this process, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found his strength in the Lord, his God. We remember these broken moments that God has shown up. And we always will take a reminder of his promises. How did he find strength in the Lord by remembering that oil hitting his head, by remembering the moments that he was saved from death when Saul wanted to kill him, by remembering the moments that he was overwhelmed in battle and God continued to show up for him. Because, hey, I've got a plan for you even if you have another plan. And all I need is your surrender. I surrender all. I, I am constantly amazed at the things that God can do through us without our help. What does that mean, preacher? <laughs> the things that he can do when we Sabbath well. And Sabbath doesn't just mean resting your body. It means resting your mind. Because anxiety and fear is a mofo. Resting our minds, and resting our body. David remembered that we could take a moment not to be overwhelmed, but to remind the moment who you belong to. You know, the enemy loves to do a lot of talking. You know, look what your mom did. Look what your dad did. You're never going to be anything. Haven't I told you that over and over again? Why are you even trying? Why are you even reaching your hand out, right? But we never do any talking back. Sucker, you know who I am. <laughs> do you know who Jesus is inside of me? Do you know who he's made me to be? An overcomer a walker through his promises, I can go boldly into the presence of God because of every sacrifice that Jesus has made. Do you know how loved I am? Do you know how glorious the Father thinks I am? Do you know how free I am? Remind the moment who you are. We're going to take a moment of silence, okay? And in this moment, I want you to remind the moment who you are, who God has made you to be, in your heart, this is your moment when you talk back to the things 
the feelings of inadequacy that talk to you. Thank you, Father, that in these moments, we know that when faced with the choices of digging deep or giving up, we dig deep into the promises that you have spoken over us, that you are a blessed, beloved son and daughter of God, that is love must leave a mark on us. We must always be reminded of his promises. This is literally what I do. If I'm having one of those weeks and I'm like, I don't know who I am anymore. Why am I even doing this? I don't know, God, what's going on? I got a little file that I'll pull out. It's like 15 pages of prophetic words that people have spoken to me over the years. And I just go, oh, you know, it's like reading through the psalm looking for what you need. It's like, all right, what do I really need? Okay, I feel inadequate. Okay, I'm not going to make it. All right, my family is going to hold me back. Okay, oh, no, this is what I need. So I gotta, uh, <laughs> I'm going to read for you a passage that I read. It's not very long. It's just a couple of sentences um, from a prophetic word that a lady gave. Her name was Isabel, and she's from Canada. Peter may remember this. It was a long time ago, maybe 2010, 2011 or something like that. But prophetically, which is why I believe God is calling us to be a prophetic people, you can speak into people's lives and say stuff about them, and you don't know who the heck they are. You may not know them from Adam, but you know them as Jesus. Listen to this. Son, in my hand I will do mighty things in you and through you, and you will bring corporate freedom to many. I saw you setting people free from drugs, alcohol, and addictions, from problems with the law. People who have been thrown away and rejected, you will make them somebody. You will bring them back into a place of identity. You will raise an army where many have looked away. And the Lord says that I have offered this to others, but they did not want to look into it because it is costly. But the Lord says, son, I know you will do it. I know you are willing, and I know that no matter what I give you, that you will not take it for granted. And I always remember that, like, in my posture towards the things where I'm like, man, I'm, it's a, it's, I'm the only one. I'm isolated. It's, come on, God. What's going on? Where are all the people? He's like, you are creating a pathway. You are walking in a place where it is important to remember his promises, no matter how desolate things look. Everybody in Scripture always had this moment where it's like, it is impossible. It is not going to, it hasn't rained in three years. How do we know it's going to rain? And Elijah says, go back again. Okay, it's not raining still. Go back again. It's not raining still. All right, go back seven times. Until he, the servant returns and says, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. How do you even see a cloud that small? I don't know. 
but to see it and to say there is a sound of heavy rain coming. God specializes in impossibilities. He specializes in things looking dead in the water. So whatever hopes and dreams you may have, that, that you will be restored, not even to just pre-pandemic, but the things that you were holding on before the pandemic that look even more impossible. He specializes in those promises. And lastly, that we would rescue our future from our past. What in the heck does that mean? That means your past attempts to put your future in a headlock and tell it everything that's going to happen. You know, I mean, it happened before, so it's probably going to happen again. Is a live PTSD that it's not going to happen again because the enemy is a liar and the father of lies. Later on in his life, David, in his wisdom, decided to show kindness to somebody from the house of Saul and Jonathan. The very family, now he was covenanted with Jonathan, but Saul had tried to kill him, and Saul was Jonathan's father. And he says, I want to show kindness to their house. Is there anyone I can show kindness to? Yes, there was one. Saul's grandson and Jonathan's son named Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth, when he was four, David and his men had, were coming to kill Saul. And as Saul and Jonathan's family began to flee, the nurse dropped Mephibosheth, and he became lame in both of his feet for his whole life. So much so that it was like his last name, Mephibosheth, you know, the one who's lame. That was what he was known as. David said, I want to show someone kindness. Bring Mephibosheth to me. And this is their interaction. When Mephibosheth's son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? That he would see himself not worthy enough to be at the king's table. And all these years, this lameness that was caused by David didn't produce any bitterness in him. That he didn't build up this well of hate that his grandfather had, but instead he locked into the covenanted humility of Jonathan. That Jonathan was supposed to be king, but David was anointed king. And sometimes we feel like we are always going to be living in the shadow of our parents' mistakes. That promises can't get through that. Surely they mess me up. They mess things up. It's, it's no way that I can come back from that. But God's promises are assured for us. 
that we can even walk in forgiveness and that we cannot give up on a future that is yet to be written. That the enemy is always there. You know, you're just like your daddy. You're just like your mama. I told you after all this stuff. And what if you said, yeah, I am. You know why? Because God is my father. I look just like him. I sound just like him. And I know that his promises are true for me. Yet we must rescue our future from our past. Not let it be dictated by all the things. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is in specific reference to circumcision, but a tradition that was made in the Jewish faith that believers, this is what we need to be a believer now. There are certain things that God wants to pull away from you that are tradition. But you can't hold tradition and a promise at the same time.